hola, hola, my name is Ricardo, I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí. Welcome back, everyone, to the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jesse Collings. And joining me today, a first-time guest on the show, he's a columnist for voicesofwrestling.com. You might recognize him from Twitter. You might recognize him from appearing on uh, many other shows on the Voices of Wrestling Network. Um, it's Suit Williams. Suit, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jesse. I'm glad to be on Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, having a good discussion about uh, about our topic today. Yeah, no. So, um, Suit, Suit, you're coming to us from Louisiana, that's correct. Yes, yes, yes. Born and raised, mostly. Yes, yes. So he's coming to you're coming to us right from the bayou. Are are there really a lot of bayous where you live? Like, is that something that you would see like walking down the street? Not where I live, because I am in uh the Baton Rouge area more. Uh more the Baton Rouge, like New Orleans area is where I've lived, but you can get to some bayous pretty like pretty quick if you uh just head start heading south. You'll get to some uh, very southern places because um, Louisiana, it is uh, basically New Orleans, Baton Rouge, and then a lot of country, a lot of country, and a lot of swamp. The um, I've talked about this before, but like a really disproportionate amount of people uh, on the Voices of Wrestling Network um, are from either the Northeast or like the Great Lakes region. Yeah, and I've I talked about this with Joe Gagne before, where it's like if we were in the territory area, we would be very like lopsided because we only would be we'd only most of us would only be able to see like Vince McMahon's WWF and you know yeah. Gagne's AWA, and like we'd be really relying on people like you suit to be like sending us Bill Watts tapes because we're we're not very geographically diverse, despite having you know thirty plus contributors. I'd be uh I'd be the one person shouting about JYD. Yeah, you'd be telling us like uh the stories, and we'd be like, "That's not true. They didn't have twenty nine thousand people there." But like, uh, it would be a it'd be a different time. But thankfully, through the power of the internet, we're all connected, and we can uh, have a, a wide range of perspectives and guests uh available to us. And the topic I want to talk about today is especially in the wake of what's happened over the last few weeks and kind of the narratives that have broken out about AEW. But the general topic is, has AEW lost its identity? Or maybe lost is too strong of a term, but is AEW having a problem with its identity in terms of what kind of product it is offering currently and kind of what kind of product historically it has offered and what kind of fan base it has kind of targeted? And I think the general theme that I think a lot of people have with AEW, uh, at least at the circles, at least the circles that I'm in, and it's probably very different to other people, but at least what I see a lot is 
AEW starts out with the idea of being a real alternative to WWE and presenting its product very, very differently than WWE. But over time, through a number of factors, kind of WWE-isms have kind of sneaked into the product. Uh, I think the current MJF character is a big example of someone that would probably exist more commonly on episode of Raw or SmackDown as opposed to Dynamite. And I think some fans are having a hard time feeling like AEW is still the alternative product and not just something that's trying to be like WWE, which has kind of historically been the big question of what AEW would look like. Would it be just like another WWE or would it be something completely different? Um, and I'll start, I'll ask you this question first, Suit. Before AEW started, when it was just an idea, when it was just an announcement on being the elites, and they had, maybe they had a little press conference in Jacksonville, what was kind of your thoughts on what you thought AEW would be from like a product standpoint? Like, what were your expectations for this new all elite wrestling company in terms of what it was going to offer as a wrestling product. My hope for what AEW would be, would be just, I don't want to say like a meat and potatoes pro wrestling company, but I want, I wanted like a new Japan style of wrestling in an American wrestling format. So and you, uh, something important to remember at the time, WWE in 2019 was terrible. Like, I like I review every WWE pay per view for the website now. I don't know why no one told me to. I just do it. But um, even like saying that, I can tell you definitively, WWE in 2023 is so much better than WWE in 2019. There was just a major lack of basic competence being told by WWE in 2019. So for AEW to come in and to be bringing in these big names and for Tony Khan, you know, the more we learned about Tony, the more we learned like what kind of a wrestling fan he was. I was hoping for, you know, a product that, not only had like, you know, the basics, competency, decent storytelling, the ability to create new stars, but I was hoping for just the high match quality that we get out of New Japan on a more regular basis in a more American wrestling format. And over time, I've kind of learned that I prefer the New Japan format and that it's kind of not pop like it would be very hard to do that in an American format, but at the start of AEW and like throughout the first, you know, we'll say through 2021, they did a, a very good job of hitting like what I think was the, you know, the highest tier of American wrestling on television. I think, yeah, like when, I think something that AEW was always going to be up against when it first started was there were all these people that wanted AEW to be whatever they personally felt was missing in like major American pro wrestling, right? There was this idea that 
some people wanted it to be like you said, kind of like a new Japan, like real sports uh, themed professional wrestling company. Some people wanted it to be like, you know, Mid-South Wrestling or, or, or Jim Crockett Promotions in the 80s. Some people wanted it to be um, just like WWE with a few minor changes. I feel, or some people wanted it to be like the Attitude Era of WWE. People, people just want, there was all this thought into thinking AEW is going to be the company that provides what I think is missing in wrestling, even though collectively all of those thoughts would contradict one another. It can't be like the Attitude Era WWE, but also be like modern New Japan, but also be like, you know, Mid-South Wrestling. Like those visions do not um, work together on the same screen. So it kind of had to be something or another. And inevitably you were going to kind of alienate some fans who would become very, very disappointed very quickly um, that AEW didn't and, meet their specific expectation. And you kind of saw that those clashing visions on the actual product, because in those early days of AEW, when multiple people were, when, you know, multiple people were having their visions on the screen. You saw the clash sometimes like segment from to segment. You would have Cody doing his, you know, his Southern wrestling, his uh, Mid-South style. You'd have the Young Bucks doing like their PWG style stuff. You'd have, you know, a lot of hardcore stuff. There were a lot of things that like, they didn't clash as much as they just didn't fit all the way together. Like there were puzzle pieces there and they didn't just click into place. Like there would be a point was... where like the gumbo, there would be a point where like the puzzle would be put together, but they just didn't have a way of getting them in the right spots. Yeah. Were, were you going to make a gumbo reference? I was it a little hackneyed, so I pivoted to the. Oh, come on! To the pub. I want you to adhere to Louisiana stereotypes. Damn it, suit. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, do you think that was a really a bad thing though? Like, if we were to go back and we're to see like this great diversity from, it would be kind of odd on a show. But was it really like a bad thing that you had like a lot of different? types of wrestling and different types of storytelling being displayed as opposed to one rigid format? I wouldn't, it's, that wouldn't necessarily be bad. Like, you know, there is the, you know, the common talking point in wrestling that wrestling's got to be a variety show. And I think having wrestling being a variety of styles and a variety of um, like different methods of doing it is better than wrestling be trying to be SNL but just the way it was done in early AEW was kind of like it was more jarring than kind of trying to find a way to say it like it didn't flow together well like there would be like there would be segments where one thing is told in one specific voice and then the next segment, it would have something in a different voice, but the voice was so different that it was kind of just hard to connect the two in the same universe. So yeah. it's not like necessarily a bad idea. It's just one where it would need more ironing out. And I think through time, they would have gotten there. 
but you, you could argue that like the effectiveness of each story was hampered by the fact that they were jumping around from segment to segment with all these kind of themes, almost like you're flipping channels. Like you turn on one channel, let's say you're flipping through like your HBO package and it's like, oh, I'm on the HBO comedy page. Oh, now I'm on the HBO horror. Now I'm on the HBO family. Now I'm on the HBO uh, Espanol. Like it would be all these different things back to back to back. And you would never, it would hurt kind of your individual investment in each segment if you felt like they weren't as connected uh, to anything else that was happening on the show. And I think, you know, AEW stepped into a really unique space in terms of being this national wrestling product with really no, um, I no fan, the fans had no idea what to expect from it. There was no history of it. And I do think that's a factor now in 2023 that didn't exist in 2019, 2020, which is we now have a set expectation for what AEW looks like, what it sh- what, what, what it feels like, what makes it different than WWE or other wrestling products. And we have, you know, a loyal fan base that tunes in every week that buy pay-per-views, you know, every other month or every month that go to shows. We have a base audience that is, you know, going to, s- appears to be going to stick with AEW for the most part um, for the time being. And now AEW has to kind of cater to what that audience's expectations are. And kind of the argument that I'm seeing a lot lately is that AEW is maybe putting that audience on the back burner and chasing after the bigger and and, and, and perhaps more lucrative WWE audience, which is changing the show a little bit and changing some of the characters and presentation to be more attractive to your conventional WWE fan as opposed to the original concept of the company, which in a lot of ways was very anti-WWE. Yeah, there's... I have this note down. I took a few notes before we started, kind of just getting some thoughts out on paper. And one thing I was... Um, the company, when it started in 2019, a lot of the people, you know, a majority of people had the same vision for what they wanted AEW to be. They wanted it to be the challenger brand. They wanted it to be an alternative. And that thought process, you saw it from the people on screen. You saw it from the people, you know, in production. They were doing different things, making the show look different, making the show feel different. And it worked. And, you know, they were they were very successful starting on. They earned a pay-per-view audience that has been stable to this day, that is incredibly uh, successful for wrestling in 2023, but really since, uh, you know, for a non-WWE promotion, there hasn't been a company this sustainable on pay-per-view since WCW in... 1999 maybe that late if you want to be generous to them so what they built with that vision was successful but as time goes on as new people as people cycle out and cycle in as you know less of that original like roster of people on both sides of the screen you know stay they move on they retire new people come in those people 
don't necessarily understand that vision of being an alternative. So they're just in their minds being like, okay, what works? And what works, what has worked, is what WWE has done. So it's not necess even necessarily like, well, what you guys do doesn't work. This is what does. It is a, it's just people coming in that don't understand the original vision or haven't had it like put to them in a certain way where it's like, oh, okay. So we're trying to be different. We're trying to be, we're trying something different to show that something different can be done instead of, well, they're successful. So we have to do what's also successful. Right. And I think this is something that uh, me and Garrett Kidney talked about uh, months ago when we were talking about kind of like the legacy of, of TNA and impact wrestling, which was, TNA always had this kind of identity crisis where they kind of always ended up trying to be like WWE. And a huge reason because of that was whenever they were looking for somebody to, to lead creative, it was often somebody who came from WWE or maybe WCW, but someone like a Vince Russo or um, Bruce Pritchard or Dusty Rhodes or these people whose, you know, Ability to 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 identify what was successful, John Guborak is another one, um, would be what they knew was WWE. And so they tried to present a WWE-like product for TNA Impact, which really didn't suit that company that well because they needed to be different because they weren't WWE. And AEW is in a lot of ways the same boat, but it's difficult to get um, high-quality professional minds in wrestling that haven't gone through WWE because WWE is one of the only places that produces ta uh, names that would be like impressive on a CV. Um, and that was always the problem, like Dixie Carter running TNA impact, not really knowing that much about pro wrestling. You logically would say like, all right, we need somebody to be the creative person. Let's get somebody from WWE. They're the most successful company. They're the only company that's really producing a, a weekly American television show besides us. Um, let's bring that person in and, and give them free reign. And then so you end up with a WWE-influenced product, whether or not you were trying to do that intentionally or not. Um, a lot of people will, will have been talking about, you know, AEW uh, hires, you know, Mike Mansory last year, last December, um, he's their new senior vice president and co-executive producer um, and has a huge role in kind of the production elements of the show. And a lot of people think that is WWE influenced because he was seen as a big WWE guy um, when he was working with, with WWE. And there's those kind of elements you can talk about, like Jeff Jarrett who comes from WWE. You could talk about some, a few other people like the producers, um, that have come over in recent, you know, last year or two that had experience in WWE. And inevitably, when you bring all these people backstage, you end up with a WWE-like flavor to your product and maybe not a full understanding of the original vision like you were touching on. And part of it might be intentional, which is like, we got to do what WWE does because they're successful. But part of it is just the fact that if you want to hire people with experience, you probably have to hire them from WWE in a lot of cases. And those people inevitably are going to be channeling some WWE philosophy um, when they begin work in uh, AEW.
Yeah, and like that touches on like a point that uh, the guys from the Grapple podcast would make a lot. Like um, back in the day, as AEW was like starting and growing and hitting these like high watermarks for success, but there was always just like they they were touching on Raw and they were touching on NXT. But they were beating NXT. Uh, remember, remember those days. But uh, they were uh, touching on Raw and like it was getting close where AEW was challenging WWE, but they weren't surpassing them. And a point that I would hear a lot was what can AEW do to get to that next level? And I think that thought process kind of like it discounts that WWE's like got the, you know, they've got a 50 year head start. They've got the advantages of being, you know, they are wrestling to a lot of people. They are the name promotion. Like, Kleenex is tissue. Like, Google is search engines. WWE is wrestling. And AEW doing what they did, they were challenging that, and they were successful, but they were never going to have that, like, that time, that investment in them because they had just started. My thought was always, it's going to take time. It's going to take a generation shift in wrestling fans. It's going to take, you know, that next TV deal and the one after that for AEW to really just grow on what they had done. And I think instead they see, okay, we kind of plateaued. Maybe we need to try something else to kind of move on top of that and instead it's kind of stagnating if not going down if the tv ratings or anything but that could be going down with the rate of cable as well so if anything it's not work it's not growing and what they're doing is at best stagnating the company yeah it's a, it's a really interesting thought in that sense of you hit uh, like you mentioned like a plateau like we've we've kind of peaked out what we think our current audience the audience of people who have watched AEW and enjoy it and will watch regularly seems to have had a cap um and how do you reach new people and, and you kind of your whole argument is like WWE has this institutional aspect of the company it's generation multi generations of fans and things like that and you're never really going to be able to replicate. The only thing you can really do to replicate that is to be around for that long and to be prominent for that long. Uh, and there's no shortcut to really doing that. Um, and so there has to be like a patience involved. And what you're saying here is that there might be a little bit of impatience in the sense of, all right, we're going to have, we want to grow. We got to see what WWE is doing because there's still, you know, a, a million wrestling fans each week who are tuning into raw and smackdown that aren't tuning into dynamite um and how can we capture those fans which is something every non-wwe wrestling company has asked itself over the years and does that end up with changing the product at all um and uh let's let's I'll, let's move to like mjf here because obviously you wrote a column for voicesofwrestling.com, which people can read now. It's called I'm Not Mad, I'm Disappointed, an MJF column. And in that column suit, you kind of talk a lot about the kind of evolution of 
MJF's character, especially now that he has turned babyface and how he has gone from being like this modern day Roddy Piper, smart heel kind of guy to being like this over the top cartoon character um, that is in these, you know, goofy backstage uh, vignettes and segments that would fit right at home on a show like NXT or, or Raw or SmackDown, or it's just a very WWE-based character. And given that he is the world champion and that he is the person who is by far the most heavily promoted and pushed person in AEW, that seems to have a much larger influence on the rest of the product. Um, and there's a decent amount of concern from people that it's turning turning them off of the product because it's so WWE like, um, and it's not particularly good. Um, but at the same time, he's very over in the buildings, and it seems like his character in the conventional sense is working. Um, but kind of take me through kind of what your feelings were and why you kind of decided to write that column last week. Yeah, the MJF stuff, it all it really let me down like how MJF because he's always had kind of like that, that I don't want to say a WWE veneer, but he's always like leaned more on the entertainment side because, you know, he's a very good talker. He's, you know, entertaining, quippy guy. And that worked when he was, you know, the top, like one of the top heels in the company and rising through the ranks and, you know, he was very entertaining. Like, I would always, you know, enjoy the MJF segments. And then, you know, when this turn came with the Adam Cole story, things kind of changed in that regard because you got the the goofy little skits. And I, I wrote about this in the piece where, where I was like, I didn't like them, but I figured they were getting to a point where okay, this is the world title feud. Things are going to get serious. We're going to hit the hard left and get real. And that didn't happen. You know, him and Cole, they stayed friends. We keep getting these segments. And now, you know, it got to a point where I was just like, what are we doing? What's the end game? Like, and throughout the whole thing mjf was getting i don't want to say lazier because i'm sure he like put some effort in but his work felt like he was not trying like he was doing the same along with the champ stuff he was doing the simple call and response stuff that you know, it worked. It worked in the buildings. It was over, but it did not feel up to the caliber of, you know, wrestler or performer that MJF had shown us to be. And so I wrote out that column, just kind of listing out, like, why I felt so let down by this guy, like, why I felt like he was just not living up to his potential through his own choices because it's known that MJF as a top star in AEW, he had, he's got, you know, a lot of control over what he does. So it felt like a lot of this was stuff that he was doing 
that, that just did not measure up to what he was capable of. So I wrote the piece and I just listed everything out. Uh, um, my favorite line in there was, um, he calls himself Piper in Portland, more like Mazanin in Stanford. Like he was just, he was a full on WWE cartoon character. And I felt like that was beneath him. And, you know, this week, you know, I put that column out. Uh, Alan Forel, who's, you know, famously positive about pro wrestling, was very frustrated. He tweeted about it. Uh, MJF, like, I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, we, like, that, like, my word or Alan's tweets got to MJF. But, you know, he put out a tweet talking about how, you know, he needed to be better and he would start being better. And then this past Tuesday on Dynamite, he cut, you know, a very serious, you know, very good up to his standard uh, promo against Jay White. He left the, you know, the tofu stuff and the call and response. He left that behind and he, you know, he cut a great promo on MJF. Some some, on, some would say too serious, suit. Well, you know, that was the juice stuff. But before then, he did. Uh, he did some very good stuff and, you know, to sit here and like say thank you, say like you're welcome would be very arrogant of me. But if it felt like we were getting back to the MJF, you know, a different version of the MJF that we were getting at the start of the company rising through the ranks before he got to the top so you know well uh you heard it like my yeah you heard it here yes folks. if you uh if you if you are happy that mjf's career has been saved you can just thank suit williams for doing it Suit, <laughs> do you have a a venmo or a paypal account you want to share if people want to send you some money for uh turning mjf's career around my cash app is on my twitter uh profile <laughs> if you don't like like if you hate me pay me i have the uh vince staples mindset of uh, if you pay me a million dollars, you'll never hear from me again. So yeah. the um, <laughs> well, I think one thing your column, I think, touches on really well, which is that when this whole MJF's baby face turn started with his feud with Adam Cole, it, there there even if you didn't like like the some of the, the dopey backstage segments they were doing, and I thought they ranged in, in quality greatly. Um, it was intriguing, this whole idea of is MJF going to turn on Adam Cole? Is Adam Cole secretly playing MJF? What's going to happen at Wembley Stadium? Like, it felt like it was really this fascinating moment where we didn't know where these characters were heading, but we knew that there was something big was going to happen. And since then, perhaps because the angles were so popular, um, we now have moved on to this thing where like MJF and Adam Cole are just friends, but their friends are, friendship is constantly strained by like Roddy Strong needing Adam Cole's attention. And it just feels like it's lost a lot of that intrigue. And what we're left with is just like the bad backstage vignettes and Adam Cole doing these terrible backstage, uh, you know, pre-tapes with, with Roderick Strong um, that feel really out of place on AEW programming. Uh, and so I feel like it's really Jesse, you don't like you don't like watching Adam Cole mow a lawn in slow motion. No, I don't. That's not I your mean, bag. 
I so like if we go back in time and like if we go back to like the the kind of like like the you know the vignette the backstage um I keep calling them backstage but they're pre-tapes the pre-taped yeah. vignette of like Adam Cole and MJF working out at the gym or whatever as they're getting ready for like the tag team tournament and things like that you know they were goofy but it's like whatever they're like i i understand the story that they're telling here and i understand why they're like they're they got to show like why you should be invested they're trying to show you why you should be invested in these characters working together um but now it's like oh adam cole is just like trapped at Roderick strong's house because Roderick strong you know is wearing a a, a hospital uh, what do they call those hospital gowns Hospital gown, yeah. Don't they call them like bobbies or something like that? Maybe that's I like don't know the technical term. term. But um, anyway, he's wearing like a hospital gown all the time, and like Adam Cole apparently has been has been from what we can tell has been stuck at Roger Strong's house for weeks. Um, and he also needs to get like in, like emergency surgery, but he can't get it. And MJF needs him. And you want to know this sucks for Adam Cole as just a person. Like Adam Cole, he's got all all these people that just can't function without him for a single second. Um, God knows what his girlfriend thinks, um, who's dropped off the face of the earth. Uh, but the whole it just it seems like we're now like we don't know where this is building towards because it seems. Like MJF, eventually one of them is still probably going to turn on the other, but that seems to be something that's going to happen in like six months after a bunch of other storyline stuff happens. And who knows? Because it seems like Adam Cole is going to be out for quite a long period of time with his ankle injury. Um, yeah. Well, uh, it the Cole and MJF pre-tapes, those were silly, but those you felt like had a point of these two are teaming, they are bonding, and they are trying to become the best tag team they can to win either set of tag team titles. And it's kind of building up the relationship so that when it ends, there is an emotional like hook to it. And it worked that, because people felt that yeah. in the matches and stuff like that. And I was into it. Like, going into the collision match, going into those dynamites, I was waiting for the turn. I was waiting for the coin to drop, and it was... I was excited for it, even though I didn't like the way they were, like, not the method of what they were getting there, but I just didn't find the skits to be funny. Like, it wasn't my type of humor. And so, while that was, you know, not optimal for me, I was still into the story. But now we're at a point where, okay, these two are friends, but they are against... Roderick Strong in the kingdom. Now, like, it doesn't make... Like, this thing doesn't make sense. Like, Adam Cole's just stuck at Roderick Strong's house. He can't just get up and leave. Like, it... Yeah, like, he's... I don't know. It, 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 it makes make Adam sense. Cole look... It makes Adam Cole look really stupid. Like, obviously, yeah, it's, it's killing Roderick Strong's credibility. But it also makes it like... Well, Adam Cole's been here for weeks... And he, he like he needs to get emergency surgery and he's really dumb because he keeps falling for like Roger Strong constantly saying he needs him for, for forever and ever. Like it just if the characters feel inhuman, which I think is again a WWE yes. trait, not an AEW trait, because like to me, 
the major distinction between AEW and WWE historically is that the AEW characters feel more realistic and less cartoonish. Um, well, they feel like humans, and humans don't stay at people's houses for a week when they need surgery. Like, they just, they go get the surgery. Right. Which is, like, not to get into fantasy booking or anything, but if we're, but I don't think Adam Cole is hurt. I think him and the Kingdom were the uh, the mystery attackers on Jay White. And I think they're going to turn heel. I don't, like, at this point, I don't get how it would make sense for the story. Like, it would take a lot of explanation for any of it to make sense. But MJF retaining the ROH tag titles makes me think, okay, the Kingdom are going to end up with those and Cole's going to turn on them. And those four are going to be a heel group for MJF to go against. That's my thought. Maybe I'm there? right. Because that sounds wrong. okay. Can we get yeah, there? Yeah, I I would love to get there. I like. Can we get there at full gear? That's like what a month away. Like, yeah, like four the fewer weeks. of these pre tapes I have to watch, the better. Because like they're just Adam Cole like these skits with strong they have really like early youtube energy where it's like there's no punchline it's just guys acting like goofs and like there's no there's no point where i'm like supposed to get the joke the joke oh, is it, that it's silly ex- things are happening yeah it, to me it's exactly like what you would see like on the the, the nxt vignettes and the the backstage little skits that they do i literally Um, compared them in the column like i've had an mjf and cole segment up against uh i think it was io shirai and zoe stark at eating sushi i had another one against like a thea hale back like vignette like you put them side by side they look like they're part of the same show yeah, and when we, to get this kind of brings us back to like the conversation about identity and things like that. When and you mentioned like MJF, you know, fancied himself like Piper in Portland, but he's he's like the Miz in in, in Stanford instead. And it was kind of like when MJF was heel MJF, and he was going out there and he was cutting his promos. I would get the impression where it'd be like, how could this guy go to WWE? Like his he he his promo style is so different than what you see in WWE. He's clearly you know able to to cut his own promos and he's not you know doing what a writer tells him to do or things like that and he's so different than like the other talkers in wwe that i just can't picture this version of him being in wwe and now it's completely the opposite where i'm like yeah the whole call and response thing and the whole like you know trying to get the crowd to chant tofu and things like that that's now it looks like he'd be a perfect fit for WWE. And that is a huge difference in the presentation of MJF. And since he's the world champion and he's heavily pushed on the AEW programming, it feels like a huge shift in AEW programming um, and kind of the identity of AEW, even though it's really just kind of one guy, you can, people will point to other people on the roster, but it's really him. That's the driving force in making this company feel like it's similar to WWE. Like, you don't get that sense when we're watching Brian Danielson or John Moxley or Hangman or the Young Bucks or a lot of these other people. It's it's really an MJF problem for the most part. Yeah, and another issue that, you know, 
not to make this the MJF bash session, because again, he's a great wrestler, and when he's on, he's great. No, it's why it's but, frustrating. Yeah, that's why it's frustrating, but um, man, what was the point I was about to make? That slipped away. Ah, the pesky. It was some, yeah, it was some about, reels. oh, I got it back, I got right, it back. Glad. It's that the MJF character had felt like kind of cool like he was lame but he was also kind of cool like he, he was, was lame in a wrestling bad guy way he was you know kind of a dork he would do his like singing stuff and he would look like a jerk but he would also look like you know he believed he was cool and he like felt like someone he was someone like he was someone where like a non-fan could walk into the room and he can put in like oh he's cutting a promo or he's doing something and a non-fan i feel like you could like easily explain his character and they would find him entertaining as opposed yeah. to being like a total goofball yeah and with the you know with the recent stuff after like i'll limited to after Wembley. That's when I'll limit it to. The stuff with the kangaroo kick and the stuff with the you know the bad nicknames. It all just didn't was so uncool. It was so just like it was kind of embarrassing. And for a guy to shift like that so quickly was just jarring and it just because you know he's better than that you know he can do better than that and it just it did not feel like he was trying it's like all right let's get through this so we could get to the next step of the brochacho story or get to the next title defense which you know i think that was the big turn for me because the samoa joe stuff he treated with some reverence he treated important it meant something to him the jay white stuff is where like the tofu stuff started and he was just that's where the key turn for me where it's like okay now he's treating the world title feuds like jokes and that's where that turn happened and that's what mo the got me to put my feelings down on paper about it. Right. But again, this week he's treating it seriously and I have I have a feeling he's going to be treating it very seriously the next few weeks. And I think um you mentioned something earlier in this discussion. This is not MJF related, but it's you said that when we talked about like expectations for what AEW was supposed to look like in 2019 and you mentioned that how negative the perception of WWE was in 2019, even from its own fan base. Um, and that's very different than today. The perception of WWE today in 2023 is miles better than it was in 2019. They have a much right. better relationship with their fan base. You don't get the fans taking over the shows anymore. You don't have the fans, you know, booing the top baby faces. They, you don't really get that that much anymore in wwe and if you go back and watch some of those like late 2010s wwe shows it's amazing to see how like apathetic the crowd is towards almost all the acts um 
there's still some of those tenements sticking around, especially during like long matches. Fans don't really care about that. They care about the turn and the interference and stuff like that. But the fan base is way more engaged now. The perception of Triple H being in charge as opposed to Vince McMahon really is the key factor in that and how they've um, you know, gotten their fan base to have a much more optimistic view about the company over the long term, which it, it had turned extremely pessimistic back in 2019. And what that has done is taken fans who were open-minded to an alternative product in 2019 and either taken them away from AEW or like, well, I don't have to watch AEW anymore because WWE is giving me what I want. Um, but also at the same time, those fans are who, even if they're still watching AEW or they're still going to AEW shows, um, they are way more into WWE than they were. A few years ago, there's more aspects of WWE that are over that aren't um, that didn't exist in 2019. Like you get people doing like the LA night. Yeah. Thing before shows. And that was something that they, WWE had no character that was like that in 2019. That was popular enough to kind of have that kind of reaction in a W show. Um, I know like John Moxley, he did a, a curb stomp. Uh during his match um at grand slam at grand slam right yeah well, i was just thinking it was at wrestle dream but i was like no he didn't wrestle at wrestle dream he did the curb stomp at grand slam and you had you know all you could audibly hear the people singing the seth rollins theme song and it was like that would have never happened in 2019 but in 2023 ww seth rollins theme song is much more over than it was in 2019 so and and when you do is when 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 Moxley does his signature move, that's what's going to happen. And so you see those elements, uh, and that's kind of all out of AEW's control in a lot of ways, right? Like AEW really can't control how popular WWE becomes, and it's kind of inevitable right. because you, they do share a lot of the same fans. Um, I think that was a perception that I don't know if people think all the time is that like there are I would say a vast majority of AEW fans suit are people that also have at the very least a, a neutral appreciation of WWE if not outright fandom for WWE I think if you go to an AEW show uh, a majority of the audience would be cool with going to a WWE show in the same market um, maybe some prefer AEW maybe some prefer WWE but I think um especially in this space and especially in some of the uh the circles you and i swim in we get the perception that like your typical aw fan hates wwe and hates you know their presentation of their product but that's really not true um that's a small segment of the hardcore fan base i think the general aw fan especially now as opposed to in 2019 the fan today has a much more positive view on WWE. It doesn't have like this, this huge opposition to what they're doing. That uh, Triple H, you know, getting in charge and Vince McMahon, that six month retirement, that was a major shift for this whole thing because, you know, I agree with your point, Jesse, that a lot of people that a lot of AEW fans, you know, are fans that want to like WWE. You know, uh, Mike Spears of the Open the Voice Gate podcast, he has, 
you know, the theory of a lot of fans just want WWE to be 5% better. And in 2019, people were frustrated. Like, like Vince wasn't going away. Roman wasn't going away. You had so many just people that they, like, people were begging for, like, change. Like, they were rooting for Seth Rollins. They were rooting for Braun Strowman. They were, they just wanted something to shake the snow globe in WWE. I mean, that's why The Fiend got over, right? Like, The Fiend got over just because it was so different, even though it was, like, objectively terrible. And I've got a point about The Fiend, too, that I'll get to, but, you know, it would be, it would, things would always, you know, turn back around to Roman versus Brock. Like, I was at WrestleMania 34 in 2018. Main event of that show, Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar. Nobody cared. No, They didn't even care to boo. They didn't care to, you know, like, hijack the show. They were, I was in a Superdome full of apathetic people bouncing around beach balls and not giving a damn about the match happening in front of them. Yeah, was that the beach, then, was that the beach ball match? I it was the WrestleMania 34, yeah, the main right, event. I'm trying to think there's also the WrestleMania main event between Triple H and Roman Reigns that nobody cared about. That was WrestleMania 32, one of like due to circumstances with me being in college at the time as well, one of the worst shows I've ever watched. Just Right, and that was, but I remember seven hours when a seven hour show peaks at the opener. That's a problem, right? But I remember you know, you're talking about like the Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns match, it just the the basically by 2019, like the crowd, WWE crowd had largely given up in trying to like get someone new over. Because if you go back like six years prior, 2012, 2013. And you think about like, obviously, you know, Brian Danielson was the big like point person for like the crowd kind of getting someone over. But you also had people like Dolph Ziggler and Zack Ryder and the these, Shield. Yeah, the, well, the Shield got a real push. Um, well, they, yeah, that's... they clearly wanted them to be over. But you had these guys who, like the who kind of organically got over in the mid card because the fans believed in them and wanted to see them do better. And once WWE made it very clear that they saw these people at a certain level, um, that just happened time after time again with various different acts and talent that people largely lost interest in in them. And so you had this whole thing where not only were your top stars like Roman Reigns not getting desired reaction, you also lost like any kind of organic momentum because people had been taught to not rally behind somebody because as long as Vince was in charge, they weren't going to get a push, a sincere push. And if they, even if they did get a slight push, we all just knew it was a matter of time before like Brock Lesnar squashed them or something like that. And, and I think that, uh, that whips around to my, to my point because in 2019, the week Dynamite debuted, um, I think it was four days later, the Sunday, that was Hell in a Cell 2019. That was The Fiend versus Seth Rollins in the cage. And that was where it was just like, oh my God. <laughs> like, 
were they, I think the show ended with people chanting AEW because they were done. Like they had killed the fiend there, and then the fiend went on to lose the belt to uh, Goldberg, who ended up losing it to Brock Lesnar. And while I like those matches, that certainly wasn't going to help WWE with like their fan base who wanted new stars and kept getting the people that they were tired of. And that kind of then that propelled AEW because AEW was new, it was fresh, they were giving you different people, they were giving you, you know, the energy, they were giving people the feeling that they were listening. And they just wanted to be heard. But then Vince Vince packs his bags and flees town. Triple H is the new cool uncle. He watches Dragon's Gate. He knows all these people. And all of a sudden, now they're being listened to. Now there's a feeling of hope. And now, all of a sudden, WWE, with a slight you know, uptick in quality. They've got the momentum. Now their fans feel heard. And now, you know, it's AEW kind of on the back foot. Right. And I think in AEW's responsibility is to kind of pivot into a way um, that I guess like reacts to that uptick in popularity in WWE. And I think that kind of gets back to our original point, which is do you try to cultivate the existing WWE fans by presenting a more WWE-like product? Or do you go in a completely different direction? Because as we've learned through things like the collisions that run head-to-head with WWE live events um, do significantly worse than ones that are not opposed directly by WWE. We saw on Tuesday, at least, you know, NXT did a better number than, than Dynamite, although that's probably an outstanding circumstance given all of the stuff that WWE put on NXT. But the point is, is that you've got some evidence that shows the fan bases, the kind of shared fan base that you have with WWE, those fans uh, in a greater number are going to pick WWE over your product every time, even if, even if the product is not particularly good on the WWE end, it's just their loyalty to WWE comes first. Um, And so do instead, yeah, just instead do you, try to go, okay, we got to go in as different a direction as possible because we we might be able to get some of the WWE fans in passing, but we'll never have their true loyalty. And as long as WWE is committed to running head-to-head with us during different times, that's not a soup as valuable fan base to, to, to have and to cater towards as opposed to a more loyal uh, AEW first fan base. Yeah, those fans that were angry at WWE that came over to AEW, now, you know, WWE listened to them. Now they're being heard, at least on the surface level, you know, with Triple H being the uh, public face of WWE. You know, we don't know how much power he really has in the company, but, you know, on the surface, you see Triple H, you know, with these job titles of head of creative, you see Triple H, you know, as the face of the company on these like post show press conferences. Now they're being listened to. Now they have, you know, their first choice is, you know, their first choice isn't pissing them off now. So they're going to go back to the first choice. 
And somebody tweeted me earlier this week when I tweeted about um, the rating, the uh, AEW and NXT ratings. Uh, they tweeted me a clip from Moneyball. And it was a clip where they're uh, sitting around. It's the scouting scene from Moneyball where they're sitting around talking about the scouts. And uh, Billy Bean is looking at everybody and he's just like, guys, if we play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. And I felt like that quote was just so apt for this situation. If you try to be like them in the room, you're going to lose to them when you end up on Tuesday nights. And maybe they would have lost to them regardless. But, you know, leaning more into their tendencies and trying to get their fan base to, you know, feel comfortable in what you're doing, it's only going to send them to the actual place that will make them feel comfortable. It's only going to send them back to, you know, the people that do what they do longer than you've done it. So you have to, you know, that's not going to work for you. So try a different route. It may not work either, but you know this won't work now. Yeah, I think that there's um, this kind of like... So I, I I mean the Tuesday night kind of battle like I don't find the, that those numbers particularly relevant just because they seem like a real uh you know out out you know outstanding case in terms of AW moving to a different night and WWE obviously going all out and Cena is not yeah Cena is not showing up on Tuesday yeah it, to me like we can't freak out about the numbers but what I do see is basically you know AW losing especially the total viewer gap which was very large um gave basically everyone a chance to say ah this is what's wrong with AEW and they need to do x y and z otherwise they're gonna be killed by WWE or something like that and it's kind of like people with very different thoughts whatever people think is wrong with AEW can be fixed and and it could be fixed because um in, in the kind of, I guess, like the Tuesday night ratings gave them uh, a reason to tee off on W on AEW. So you have some people on one corner who are like, it's because they're too much like WWE. You have to be different. You have to get away from all this WWE-like stuff on the programming. You have to get rid of Mike Mansoury and all these other people that only think WWE. You have to be as different as possible because WWE is always going to come ahead of you in doing their thing. Kind of like what you just said, Sue, right? If you play like the Yankees, and here, we're yeah. going to lose the Yankees out there. Um, and on the flip side, the complete opposite end, you have these other people who are like, this is because AEW is too focused on wrestling and not focused on stories. And they need to be more like WWE in order to capture that WWE audience, which is clearly, you know, those fans are clearly more invested in WWE because they don't, they tell stories and whatever. Um, and so it's kind of like whatever you think, it's like the, um, the casual fan argument, which the casual fan argument obviously usually, um, comes down to whatever someone individually thinks is missing in wrestling is projected onto the beliefs of the much wider casual fan, uh, base. And so you can say, oh, the casual fan wants more, you know, stories and less in-ring wrestling. And the only way to cultivate the casual fan is to, to be like this. And other people are saying, well, casual fans, you need to get, you know, more action-packed and be less like WWE because 
you know, the casual fan's going to pick WWE every time if the products are too similar. And I don't really like, I'm not really like, going to like pass judgment on which like side I think is right or wrong, but I think it just ge- the, the, the results from Tuesday night gave everyone an opportunity to kind of voice what they think is wrong with AEW. And I often think that we're kind of back to where we were in 2019, where everyone just thinks whatever, a- whatever they want AEW to be is obviously the right thing for AEW to be. And I'm not sure if there's a clear and obvious direction that AEW should be going in to um, cultivate a wider audience and to become, I guess, more competitive with WWE, or at least less reliance on WWE ups and downs for their own business. Yeah, it's a lot of confirmation bias. Like, what I think will work will work. And... Right, and Tuesday night was evidence of, of course, they're, this is why they failed, because they're doing this. Right, but there's a lot more evidence, like, historically, there's a lot more evidence to, you know, the point of, you know, diverging from WWE tactics than going moving further into WWE tactics. So, you know, we b- talked about TNA earlier, where it's like, you know, they tried to do WWE, and they couldn't grow beyond a certain point you look at wcw toward the end where it was very just there were a lot of problems with wcw at the end but part of it was trying to look and feel more like wwe after you know they you know the ratings war was lost and the tide had turned you know you bring in russo and he just makes the show feel more new york than southern and you know, you lose the fan, you lose more of the fan base that you had. So, historically speaking, like if you look at, you know, the past failed attempts, they went one way. Do you continue down that way, or do you try another path? Do you walk the road less traveled? Yeah, I think um, something that I think, uh. I think is interesting in regards to this kind of relationship between AEW and WWE and something that it kind of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes is the I the I we we focus a lot on I think like what is the identity of the product and is it is it MJF doing these goofy segments is it John Moxley bleeding all the time is it the Young Bucks doing all these flips and I do think like at a macro level, we often talk about in like big sweeping terms, which is like people now view the product as this, or people now view the product as this because they see something. But realistically, I feel like if you talk to people that have like a limited uh, experience watching AEW uh, or even like a limited experience watching wrestling and they stumble across AEW, when I, they're, they're kind of, their opinions are going to be like all over the map in terms of what they, how they view the company when people like you and i that are watching the shows each week we have a really robust understanding of what it seems like the company is trying to project but your less um active fan and your less engaged fan is going to be uh have a much more like scattershot view of the product they might turn it on once and orange Cassidy is on there doing his shtick and that's their impression of AEW. And they might turn it on another time and Darby Allen's falling off a high structure. And that's their impression of AEW. 
And I think, you know, we could talk all we want about the narratives of the company, but really there were a lot more other aspects in play. There's marketing that can reach fans who aren't tuning in each week. Um, I think a huge problem for AEW is the wrestling media and social media in general is skewered in like an anti-AEW way. I don't know. I don't know. Suit, are you on Facebook at all? Uh, not anymore. Right. I, I don't really use Facebook that much, but occasionally I'll, 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 I'll load it up and just kind of scroll down. And Facebook to me is now like all these recommended pages, not even pages that I follow, just recommended pages. And I'll get wrestling ones and like, they're all like anti-AW wrestling pages. It's very strange that that's what the algorithm gives me. Um, and we know that's the case on Twitter. And we know that that's the case for like, you know, people on YouTube that are maybe watching Jim Cornette talk about some old wrestling thing. And then the next thing that boots up is an angry Jim Cornette AEW rant. And that's that person's impression of AEW. I think all of these things play a factor in kind of like, aw's ability to cultivate new viewers and to find a new audience and a lot of it stretches beyond just whatever it feels like the product is shifting in and i some think sometimes we lose sight of that if that makes sense yeah and that goes back to my point of like aw just needing more time to exist and be you know normal in the wrestling environment because you know we're talking now you know, in January, that'll mark, what, five years of AEW? Like, five years since the announcement of AEW? Like, five years is, it feels like a long time, but, like, that's not a long time when you're comparing it to WWE and the, you know, historic, like, they've been the New York territory for, you know, God knows how long, like, you know, at least 60 years off the head, probably further back. So AEW just is not normal to a large section of wrestling fans. So it's going to be seen as this just, you know, kind of sideshow until it becomes normal. And that doesn't happen in five years. That happens, you know after maybe 10 years or 15 years of just being in the airspace where it just becomes normal now. And in, you know, five more years, 10 more years, the wrestling fans that come into wrestling, like wrestling fans that haven't started that come into it, won't see it as this like sideshow. They'll just see it as like, oh, there's two companies. I like what this one does better. I like what that one does better. And that influence of like, well, yeah, that is tough because it will still be there because like a lot of fans will still stick around and like, you know, those groups will still exist. That mindset will still exist. But my thought process is after, you know, the more and more time passes, the more and more that automatic WWE influence kind of fades and the more normal, you know, two companies existing next to each other will feel to wrestling fans in general. Yeah, I think on the most recent episode of WrestleNomics, um, Brandon brings up, brought up what I thought was a really good discussion in terms of 
the the concept of a challenger brand or what an alternative brand is. And like the two examples we always seem to talk about in when it comes to AEW and WWE is like, you know, Coke and Pepsi and McDonald's and Burger King. And the truth is there really isn't that much of a difference between Coke and Pepsi and McDonald's and Burger King. There are slight differences to the menu. Their food tastes slightly differently, but they basically are offering the same thing and targeting the exact same group of people. And is that really a challenger brand? On the flip side, he said like a, a more apt comparison to what AEW might be trying to do is like Coke and Red Bull, right? Red Bull is a very different drink than Coke. It is still a, a, a drink. You're still targeting kind of the same thing. Someone walks into a convenience store and wants a drink. Wonder what they're going to get. They'll look at, you know, Coke, but they might also look at Red Bull. But, you know, Red Bull is much more of an upstart company than Coke is. It's not, you know, quite an institution the way Coke is or even what Pepsi is. Um, it targets a different audience through its marketing. It is, you know, my grandma is not going to drink a, a can of Red Bull, but she'll probably drink a can of Coke. No one is going to drink a can of Red Bull and remember drinking a can of Red Bull 40 years earlier like they will with Coke. There's no kind of institutional or nostalgia associated with it to that degree, similar to AEW's relationship with fans compared to WWE. And it's a much more interesting way, I think, to think about who are we targeting? Are we targeting a younger demographic? We're tar we're not going to target families as much. We're not going to be playing off of nostalgia as much the way WWE does. I think all of those are real questions that AEW, I'm sure, is asking themselves and should be asking themselves. Is what does it really mean to be an alternative and to cr cultivate new fans? Because it's probably not going to be, let's try to steal some fans from WWE. It has to be, let's create our own fans from scratch and let's market and present ourselves to fan bases or, or populations that WWE has perhaps never targeted or certainly generations that haven't been, you know, targeted yet by WWE. I think WWE has kind of given AEW like what their brand should be because, you know, as you know, Forever, they were sports entertainment, sports entertainment, sports entertainment. So AEW, like, theoretically, you just go pro wrestling. We're pro wrestling. Like, TNA for a while was We Are Wrestling. And I think, like, at least my thought process is, okay, they're moving away from wrestling. They don't. They don't like to do blood. They do a lot of stunts, but they don't do like real violence. AEW will pivot this way. And they have, you know. We're a few months removed from that uh from a Texas death match on TV. So it's not that they aren't doing that. It's just that more and more there's some sports like there's sports entertainment vibes coming in and that's muddying the waters like you want like a hard like demarcation point of okay they do things like, like this we don't do that over here if we want to get something across we'll find another way to do it so at least that's my 
line of thinking on that. It could just be that confirmation bias hitting again, but yeah, yeah well, I, that's just my thought. No, I think, um, I think with AW, it's, it's it's also like when we talk about like what the image of AW is, and I think like people, you know, who really don't like this MJF stuff, um, it kind of like overpowers all this other stuff that's happening in AEW and I get that he's the champion and I get that you know he's the most pushed commodity so I get the complaints aimed at that but when you look at a show like Wrestle Dream their last pay-per-view show and it's like all right we got the you know the opening match was a very WWE specific match with MJF it's the champion beating two um you know tag team wrestlers in a handicap match he's doing a lot of comedies doing his bits and it's like very WWE like match. So it's like, okay, yes, that match was like WWE. It's like, was the rest of the card like WWE? Because I don't think WWE's having, you know, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Brian Danielson and having a match like that. I don't think they're doing a match like Darby Allen versus Christian Cage in the main event. Um that to me was not W like the rest of that show was not WWE like at all. And so it's like, all right, are we going to allow one thing, and you could throw in like the Tony Storm bit or something like that as, as another example of like sports entertainment and stuff like that. But are we really going to allow like one, this thing to kind of change the definition of what we think of the perception of AEW? Or are we taking what something we really don't like and kind of projecting that as a bigger problem than it probably really is? And there are other problems in AEW that need to be addressed beyond just the MJF thing feeling like WWE. Because I feel like that's become the thing that sucks up all conversation in AEW now. seems like all anyone ever talks about is the MJF angle, even while there's many, many, many other things happening in the company that are, you know, not as uh, sports entertainment-y or WWE-like, but it does seem like when it comes to, like, discussion about AEW, it's like, I think some people are over-exaggerating the impact that MJF has on the product, if that makes any sense. It, in a sense, it is because it is like, you know, a couple people like it's, you know, MJF, it's Tony Storm, you know, it's a like acclaimed or kind of in that vein, but they're, you know, they're the just acclaimed more though are kind of anything. always like, always like, yeah, that. they've been like that. They're going to be like that. They're just, you know, they're a goofy team. Yeah, but you well, get the like acclaimed also. At, well, the acclaimed also oh, have things like the like they have like the edgy raps and stuff like that, which WWE yeah, would never there's allow. that too. You know, you've got like low card acts like the Iron Savages on uh, Collision and ROH doing their thing. Like, it's more acts than it was before, but um, like it is only a few acts out of like the sprawling company that is AEW. But at the same time, it's the world champion. It is the top act. It's the guy that's going to get the most time. The guy that's usually going to be in main events. So it's going to like it's like the head of a the head of a snake. It it all goes down from him. Like it starts from him, and it kind of seeps down in everything else. And you know, I'm seeing a lot of like. What I'm seeing, and I don't necessarily blame people for, is, like, MJF's influence seeping into more of the card. Even though, like, some of the acts, like, 
the Iron Savages aren't, don't matter. Like, the acclaim, that's always been their shtick. Like, it was before MJF won the belt. When MJF loses it, they'll probably still be doing it. You know, Tony, it's a new act for her, I guess. But a lot of people are kind of worried of MJF's influence at the top and hearing the, uh, you know, the reactions he's getting. They're worried about that kind of seeping through to the rest of the snake and like influencing more and more of the company when it hasn't on a large basis. Like you brought up Wrestle Dream. Like I'll bring up All Out. It was a lot of the same thing where it's like MJF stuff is at the start. The rest of the show was, you know, it was a vastly different like feel and flavor to it. You know, Wrestle Dream, same thing. So it could just be a case of, you know, if MJF loses a title to Jay White or if he loses it to, you know, whoever they heat up next, Swerve, it could just be a feeling of once MJF loses the belt and he's not at the head of the, no, I'll, I'll go, I'll go one for one and say once he's not at the head of the table anymore, Things will, you know, the feeling of the company will be different. The feeling of the company will be, okay, we're all headed in this kind of one direction now. Right, and there was, uh, this is something that's kind of evolved as MJF's face turn has evolved, right? Like, we didn't have these concerns when he was feuding with Brian Danielson earlier this year. Even, like, the Four Pillars feud, it wasn't, you could say there were some WWE elements, like all the guys in the ring talking, but it really... I don't think like we didn't see like, you know, catchphrase MJF. This is really tied yeah. to his baby face run. Almost like his presentation of a baby face character is very sports entertainment-y. And his presentation of a heel character is not. Or at least it's unique enough to not give off those same vibes. Um, yeah, the four-way stuff didn't have like a WWE feel to it. It was just a clunky way of getting to a four-way world right, title and, match. And some of the guys were underwhelming as as title challengers. Yeah, and then, you know, once you get into the Adam Cole thing is where they start doing the the pre-tapes, and that's where it, like, it feels more WWE, and that was kind of where MJF started, where his turn started with all the video stuff, because if you remember, MJF and Cole, they did their back and forth. They had the 30-minute draw on Dynamite. That was fantastic. That was fantastic. Like, these two can do, you know, they can fit into the wider AEW world. It's just this way that they've gone about MJF's turn has, you know, it's got a lot of those WWE elements to it that turn people off. And that's, you know, it's why we're having the discussion now. Because the world title feud, the top two guys in the company are engaging in this. And now it kind of, it just makes the show feel weird. Even though it's not like, you know, even though it's not different from their stuff on, it being at the top and taking a lot of the oxygen is going to, it's going to, you know, mess with things. Mm -hmm. Thinking kind of as we wrap up here, kind of like thinking big picture, um, 
right now, if someone was a, say they had a basic knowledge of pro wrestling, but they came up to you on the street suit and they were like, Sue, how, how would you describe AEW to me as as a wrestling fan that doesn't really know that much about the company? How what would your description be? Like, how would you what would you tell someone about AEW? I would say it still feels like a pro wrestling company. Like it's very gritty. Like you'll get a lot of focus on the in ring stuff. But there is still, there is a little tinge of like, you know, WWE flavor. So you'll still get like comedy stuff. Like it's, it's hard to put like, it's hard to put it in like a simple phrase of this is what AEW is. Because it feels like a variety of a lot of things. You know, there is the like pro wrestling aspect of it where it's very focused on the in-ring your pay-per-views will have you know 11 matches they won't waste a lot of time the tv on the other hand like you'll get you know you'll get your good promos and you'll get your good matches and you know it is hard to like encompass it in one like phrase like how would you describe it and i can like kind of go off of what you would say I, for me I, I i describe it as um it's a wrestling company where the main the main difference between aw and wwe is that wwe's characters are cartoonish and over the top characters while aw's characters in general are more based in reality and they feel like they're more relatable people that is not the case for yeah. everyone on the roster right that's not the case for mjf currently um, but I still think the identity of the company, as opposed to WWE, is like the much more realistic depiction of sto- of of characters and actions, while WWE is caught up in this really over the top cartoonish world, which appeals to historical WWE fans, but does not appeal to people who maybe want a more serious wrestling product, and that's what AEW offers now. There could be a point, a tipping point where more acts are like MJF than not. And then it becomes less of a distinction between the two companies. And it becomes harder to make that, you know, summarization that I just did. I get it. Okay, so going off of what you said, I would describe AEW, like the way I would describe WWE is, you know, it's the old... uh, I don't remember who said it, but someone once described WWE as a wrestling sh- a show about a show about making a wrestling show. So it's like a look at how a wrestling show is made with these over-the-top characters and how everything comes together. And it's kind of cartoonish, and it's kind of garish, and it's got this, you know, it's got this veneer... Um, Joe Lanza on the flagship had a very good term for it. He called it, you know, just a plastic veneer on it. AEW doesn't have that veneer. AEW is a wrestling show. There are going to be different types of wrestling. going to be different types of, of characters. Some of them are going to be over the top. Some of them are not. But the majority of the show is going to be about wrestling, 
who wins and loses, what goes on in the ring, and how these guys are getting. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's that different than 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 my explanation in terms of like it's a wrestling company as opposed to a sports entertainment company. There you um, go. And I guess the distinction is a lot of people aren't familiar with what a wrestling company is like because their only knowledge is WWE. Yeah, it's um, been since WCW closed, it's been 22 years. I'm only 26. Like there's a lot of people like me who are just like, you know, they checked out TNA, but it's, you know, been WWE or nothing for almost 30 years now. That's going to be hard. Well, that goes back to my point. It's going to be hard for AEW to overcome that in, you know, the four years they've been running shows. It's just, it might take time for them to just grow and be normal in the wrestling environment yeah like i'm 29 years old i'm about to hit 10 years in my current professional field um i do not remember wcw at all okay um so i and i think some fans i mean it's just it's just a time thing right people don't realize how long ago 1999 was um you know, as you get older. And so like, that's something that I think a lot of people struggle with being able to remember. And I think that's how the company is going to, in like, like we kind of sit at the top, it's going to take time to kind of establish that. And, you, but your vision kind of has to be consistent um, for all the things you can say about WWE since, you know, Vince McMahon Jr. came over and, and, and ran the company is that his vision of pro wrestling for the most part has been relatively consistent. It's evolved from time to time, but what he thinks, what he values in pro wrestling, what he presents in his product has been very consistent for the last 40 years. Um, and, and AEW will need to have some level of consistency with evolution sprinkled in as well to kind of establish, I think, a similar reputation, even if it's probably never going to be quite as um, universal as WWE's. I would agree with that. All right. Um, that's going to put a wrap on today. Suit, do you got anything you want to plug? Any recent work besides the MJF column or stuff you got upcoming? Man, I've written a lot lately. I've got, uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter and any Twitter offshoots at Suit Williams. Uh, VoicesOfWrestling.com. I've recently published uh, the MJF piece that we talked about here. Um, the Dynamite Dozen, which is my yearly look at the 12 best uh, AEW television matches. You can check that out at uh, voiceofwrestling.com. I also did an episode of uh, The Good, The Bad, The Hungy, our AEW podcast, uh, where I revealed the list live uh, with those uh, with uh, Tyler and Fred. Uh, I've got an ongoing series about CM Punk, because who doesn't love hearing about that guy? Um, it's the bummer of Punk. It's the look at his uh, 2011, you know, rise to the main event in WWE. Uh, and then F4WOnline.com. I also write for the Wrestling Observer website. I review Ring of Honor every week, and I review AEW Collision every Saturday. Yeah, so a lot of even a lot of content throughout the week. Uh, uh, it was a pleasure to have you on suit. Um, and I thank all of my listeners, all the people that keep tuning in each week. Uh, 
very appreciated and everyone have a great weekend and we'll talk to you after a while. Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the pro wrestling quiz show. I'm Joe Gagney and every episode I grill three contestants with five rounds of power packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today.